Turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to focus on verses 12 through 21. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against you, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts, or rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, so that they will not lose heart. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning again thanking you for the special meaning of this day, for the faith of the fathers that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you are our Father in heaven. You are the one who created us. And Father, you are the one who has saved us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you for that salvation, so rich and so wonderful. Thank you for your mercy and loving kindness to us. Thank you for the grace which abounds in us through Jesus. And thank you this morning, Father, that we might commemorate those who are meaningful to us in our lives, who have left us a legacy of faith, who have been faithful to you, and therefore, Lord, have been faithful to us. We now ask that we, as we commit this to you, that you bless us, Father, not for the sake of blessing, but that Jesus Christ would be glorified in the preaching and teaching of your word. May he be lifted up, so that all would be drawn unto him. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. You know, I, I considered back when I heard a couple of months ago, and Paul asked me if I would be kind enough to preach this thing, what a privilege it is to do this. But in particular, what I, I thought is I looked at the significance of the day. This was Father's Day. And that's always had a special significance to me. Because first and foremost, I am, I'm a privileged individual to be the son, the adopted son, of Christian parents. In particular, my father was truly a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a follower of him. I can remember uh, reading a transcript made of a meeting that was held on the 2nd of April, 1953. It was in our Southern Baptist Church, the Brotherhood meeting. It met on Thursdays. My father had died very suddenly on the 31st of March of 1953 on a Tuesday night. And I was 12 years old, and it was a devastating thing to me. And on the 2nd, we had the funeral. And that night after the funeral, they had the Brotherhood gathering, which they normally did. But they thought of something special to do. 
And so several men of the 15 or 20 that were there got up and gave a word of testimony as to what Sam Burnap had meant to them. That was my father's name. Sam Burnap was a justice of the peace, a judge, a lawyer, but he was more than that. He was a father. He was a Sunday school teacher. He was a Sunday school superintendent. He was very involved in the church and every aspect of it, especially the Brotherhood, the men's organization. He was even involved in the Baptist General Convention of Texas as an executive on the board and had, had the privilege of serving the Lord in many different ways. But I can remember the very first time I read that transcript. And they were kind enough to take the words of testimony and convert them into written transcript. And I still have that today. I read it last night. I've read it many times. But it is a legacy of my father. It is a legacy that has touched my life and had a significant meaning to me, especially from the age of 14 when I was seemingly destined to be a rebel and be, to be completely disobedient, that that brought me home. That really spoke to me. And I can remember the testimony of one man in particular. His name was W.L. Gillespie. And as it was, he had been a Sunday school teacher of me when I was of what, I was of the, what they call the junior age, which was about age 9 and 10, somewhere in there. And Brother Gillespie used to tell Bible stories from the Old Testament in a very special way that just kept us in rapt attention as he talked about Samson and David and all of these individuals. It was just a wonderful thing to remember. And he also testified boldly, as we're going to do this coming week, to children that they needed faith in Jesus Christ. But W.L. Gillespie stood up in that meeting that night on April the 2nd, 1953, and he gave his testimony of what my father had meant to him. And he said, the thing that stood out most of of all about Sam Burnap was when he was at a brotherhood meeting and he stood up and gave a word of testimony saying that the happiest moment of his life is when I had accepted Jesus Christ. And he was looking forward with great anticipation to the time when my sister, who was that, at that stage when my dad died, was 10 years old, when she would accept Jesus Christ. And so the legacy he left was that he had been desirous with all of his heart that we come to know Jesus as Lord. He had lived a life that was exemplary. One of the men stood up and said, I've known Sam all of his life. And you know, the thing that always stood out to me is he never seemed to be tempted like the rest of us. He was just too busy. He just had too much to do for the Lord. And so therefore, he never got in the same trouble. He said some people would come along and say, let's go do this. And he said, I would say, okay, let's go do it. But Sam would never say so. He just never did it. He was just, he had other things to do as he was obedient to life, to the life principles of being a Christian man. So he left me a legacy. And the fact was, is that being adopted, I could have had, I could have looked at it as a legacy of illegitimacy. Born to a rich Dallas, Dallas socialite. And, and I praise God that she was kind enough and graceful enough, instead of having an abortion in that day, instead rather had me in a maternity home called Volunteers of America. The unique thing about Volunteers of America, and I can remember reading some of the materials that came from there, is that this was the 1940s, and it was interesting to say that their requirement for any parents that were going to adopt children from that 
maternity home was that those parents would be devout Christians. That's as politically incorrect as you can get today. And the tragedy was that several years ago when I was in Dallas or Fort Worth on business, I had some time one morning between appointments from the day before and appointments that afternoon, and I picked up the phone book and I found the address of Volunteers of America, and I called to them and asked them, said, do you mind if I come out and just take a look around? I'd never been there, or I actually had, but I certainly didn't remember it. I was very little. <clears throat> so I went. And the lady, and what Volunteers of America was, really is a home for recovering alcoholics and drug addicts today. It doesn't relate to abortion whatsoever. I mean, you know, abortions eliminated the need for the Volunteers of America. So basically they are a place which helps alcoholics and drug addicts recover. But they still had the old building. And she said, this is, this is the maternity room. This is where you were born. And it was interesting to look upon that. But I don't have a legacy of illegitimacy. Though I might have been born to a rich Dallas socialite, as my mother told my sister many years later, I'd never heard that until my sister took, confided that to me several years ago. Nevertheless, I'm a son who was adopted and given a name. So I have a great legacy, a name. You see, all of us have a legacy. Whether we want to or not, we have a legacy. And I can remember in particular, as I was listening to uh, DVD and reading some books from an uh, uh, evangelist called Dr. Sammy Tepet. And, and it was just a, a blessing to hear one of these things about legacy. And he gave a formula that's in our study guide, and the formula says this. Heritage plus identity equal legacy. And actually, as you look at what, how legacy is defined, it is either money or property bequeathed by will, or secondly, it says that legacy is something handed down from an ancestor or a predecessor or from the past. The synonym they use is heritage. In actuality, this is what Sammy Tibbet said, heritage plus identity equal legacy. Heritage is something we have no control over. I mean, heritage is of the past. We have a heritage that's been given to us. It might be a cultural heritage. It might be a tradition that we have as families. It might be a heritage of the history of the family. It might be a heritage of many different things, but you and I have no control over that. We have a heritage, and the fact is that it is what our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents have bequeathed us in a lot of ways. Now, we have an identity as well. The identity... And by the way, just let me mention that the, the heritage is according to the sovereignty of God. I mean, I have nothing to do with it. I can't go back to the past and change one single thing. I can view it differently than perhaps I would, and that's why I say I view my heritage as one of a son of adoption instead of a son of illegitimacy. But the fact is, God's sovereign will is what enables us to have a heritage. The identity is who we are. It's our emotions, our intellect, our will, if you will. It is the choices we make every single day. We choose what we want to do. God's made us free agents. We are not compelled to do anything, but we have a choice, and we choose to live certain ways. 
That's our identity. That's our personality, the uniqueness of our being. We're different because of our heritage plus our personality, our identity, than anybody else on the face of the earth. Every single one of us are uniquely different. Now, that has to do with the present. So the past plus the present equal the future, if you will. For heritage plus identity equal legacy. And this legacy is what we're going to bequeath, whether we want to or not, to our children or our grandchildren, regardless of your age. You might be a long way from being married, but the fact of the matter is this, or you might not be married at all, but you still can bequeath a legacy to your spiritual children, if you will. You're going to bequeath a legacy to your children, one way or the other. But the fact is this. Our future is up to us, whether we want to obey or not to obey the will of God. The sovereignty of God plus the will of man. Our free choice is going to equal our legacy, if you will. So, if we have inherited something that we're not too proud of, if we have inherited a legacy that we don't want to talk about too much, we have, by faith in Jesus Christ, the power to change that very thing right now, this very day. And you could say, I'm going to bequeath to my children and my grandchildren a legacy of faith. And that wonderful old hymn, Faith of Our Fathers, such a wonderful old hymn, it just touches my heart every time I hear it, that I want to be a grandfather, a father, if you will, of, of leaving a legacy of faith to my very children. What kind of legacy is it that we should leave? And that's why we have, as the second point here in our outline this morning, a legacy of love. Love is the key. As a matter of fact, as you look at verse 14, he says, beyond all these things, above all else, is what he's really saying, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Above everything else, above compassion, Humility, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness, everything, put on love. Because that is going to be the perfect bond of peace. That's going to hold everything together. And that's what we need to do as fathers. I speak to fathers in particular, but I speak to mothers as well. Because you have a choice of passing down a legacy. You're going to play a role in that, an important role, needless to say. And so what is that role going to be? Let's make it a role, of, a role of legacy of love. And that is starting, first of all, with the great commandment. Remember, they came to Jesus to trick him up. So what's the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, is, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second commandment is likened to this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love, the great commandment being love, that's what holds all of it together. And it starts with our love of God, which is our choice to make. That's man's choice. You may love God or you may not. And if you love him with all your heart, with your innermost being, with all of your soul, with your mind, intellect, and emotions, if you love him with all your body, if you will, with all your strength, all your might, then that enables us to have love beyond what we can begin to comprehend. Let me tell you this. If you have a hard time loving, 
If you're having difficulty loving the unlovely, if you're having difficulty loving some people who just seem to get under your skin in the worst possible way, there's not a better rectification to that than loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because God gives you the capacity to love the unlovely. And that's the only way that that will come. It's not a natural human thing to love people we consider enemies or anything but like-minded, actually opposite-minded type of people. We just don't have a natural inclination to love those people. But God can enable us to love. And the way he does this is when we humble ourselves before him. It says in 1 Peter 5, 5, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the only way you can love in these kind of cases is to have the grace of God operating freely in your life. And God's grace enables you to do this. But there's only one way to get that grace. You've got to humble yourself before God. And that's difficult for for us to do when we are proud sometimes, or we are utterly disobedient, or we think we've got a better solution to things than God has. And so we just refuse to do it. And let me tell you, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So it's by that humility, that humbling ourselves before God. As he said in 2 Chronicles 7.14, as he was speaking through Solomon, and my people who are called by my name, if they would humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. That's the way it operates. We humble ourselves, and God's grace begins to abound, and we're able to love the unlovely. But the fact is, the legacy of love is marked by one other thing. And that is, in 1 Peter 4.8, he says this. And matter of fact, I want you to turn to 1 Peter 4.8, because it's one of my very first favorite verses in the Bible, and I'm going to tell you why. 1 Peter 4.8 says this, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, Keep fervent. By the way, that's your choice. Whether you want to be fervent or not, whether you want to exercise this commandment or not, whether you want to obey it or not, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I can testify to this because I know this is true. You know, there is no, unfortunately, there is no college course that we can take, no degree that we can earn, Uh, No wonderful book we can read other than this one right here that tells us how to be a parent. And we can make some of the grossest mistakes. We can actually sin. We can make every kind of error possible and imaginable because as parents, we just seem, we, we, we learn by mistake, unfortunately. We learn by our mistakes. We were privileged as a couple, Rita and I were, to receive a little red-headed son. And I can remember when we were members at the Amherst Baptist Church in, in, uh, in Niagara Falls, New York, and we used to be known as Sam's parents. They didn't call us Rita and Herb. We were Sam's parents. <clears throat> there was a reason for that. And we found out, much to our surprise, a couple of years before that, before we moved from Houston, Texas, to, uh, to Niagara Falls in particular, we, we, we made the mistake, and we realize that now, but we made the mistake... We thought we had to both be working in order to get ahead. 
So we put Sam and Heidi in a daycare center. And now we were fortunate. It was at the Presbyterian Church of, uh, out of Western, at West Houston, and they did a good job. But they allowed Sam, and, and, and our daughter told us this, they allowed Sam to go anywhere he wanted to go. They thought he was so cute and adorable as a little red-headed boy that they thought he can go. He has freedom to go anywhere he wants to. Well, that's not a real good way to raise a kid. And I can tell you, but we learn by mistake and trial and error of the things that we should do as parents and the things that we should not do as parents. But God, in his mercy, has promised us this, that love covers a multitude of sins. And there's one thing I think that my children will tell you today. They have no doubt whatsoever in their mind that their father and their mother love them unconditionally love them. We've learned to receive them just as God intended them to be, as a perfect and perfecting gift for us. And we love them, and we tell them that. And it's a shame sometimes when parents don't say that. I had a mother who was raised in, in a very stoic way. Uh, I can remember that distinctly, and I can almost count to you the fingers on one hand the time my mother told me that she loved me. And what a tragedy that is. But I said, I will never let my children ever have doubt that I love them. And I, can tell, I tell them that when I talk to them on the phone. I tell them that every single time I see them. I tell it to my grandchildren. And I want to leave for them a legacy of love. Unconditional love that only God can give me and enable me to do. And that's so important. Tell them that you love them. For love covers a multitude of sins. It's amazing some of us as parents have to learn the hard way, and some of us learn more easily than others. Some of us make more mistakes than others make mistakes. But the fact is, God in his grace and mercy allows us to love. And he indeed asks us and commands us to love. And when you love him with all your heart, mind, and soul, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, think about this, and think about the, in, the dimensions of that commandment. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if he says, love your neighbor as yourself, what do you think he means about your family? How greater love could it be that we should have? Second only to the love that we, with which we love God. That he wants us to love in that way. And so, love your children. Love your spiritual children. You might not have children at all in this place, but you can have spiritual children. And you ought to love them. You ought to love, and this is what the context of this is talking about this morning in, in Colossians chapter 3, about the love that we ought to have as a consequence of being brothers and sisters in Christ. We're part of the family of God, and we ought to love one another. We ought to have a, a spirit of, com, of, of compassion, humility, gentleness, and kindness, and all these things, but above all, it says in verse 14, put on love. Put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. All right, then what else should we have as a spiritual legacy? I think it's this. As fathers, in particular, as you read the scriptures, we are to have a legacy, or to leave a legacy of spiritual leadership. And by this, I'm not talking about being able to make some great articulate argument as to why our children ought to believe us and ought to obey us. I'm talking about living the example before them. And that's one thing my father did. He left me a legacy 
of godly living. I wish I could say I've lived up to that. But the fact is that, that his faith in Christ Jesus left me a legacy. Let me tell you a little bit about from my business experience. And this is why I'm a believer in leadership by example. The last job I had in the business world was one that was really the job of a consultant. And what we were attempting to do in this organization was to provide processes for our clients that would enable them to essentially institutionalize these processes, make them a way of their ordinary business from day to day. That So therefore, there were ways that we did this, some proven ways that were absolutely proven because it had been tested and tried and shown to be effective. And so therefore, we had what we called executive alignment workshops. And then under that, we had management alignment workshops. And that was for the purpose of telling the, uh, the executive management, first of all, the top executive management of an organization, here's what these processes involve, and here's the best way by which they work, and it requires that you help cascade this down from the top all the way to the bottom. It's going to require you to provide leadership to your organization. So we, so we had a, a three-hour workshop essentially telling executives what they needed to do to be effective in changing the culture of their organization and institutionalizing the processes within their organization. I can remember one client in particular out of um, Denver, Colorado. And we were to have our executive alignment workshop, matter of fact, two weeks before 9-11. And we needless to say didn't have it, but it wasn't because of 9-11. It was at the last, very last minute, literally two days before we were due to get on the plane and go to New York City, they called and canceled. And that sent a signal right through the organization that this really wasn't that important. So we went ahead and decided we'd go ahead with two of the management workshops, which was to the middle management. And these are the people that we're going to deal with the representatives out in the field and really make things happen. Because we didn't have the executive workshop and they weren't on board and they weren't involved in the process, we then had the management workshops, but they demonstrated during those workshops we had over a period of two weeks, they didn't have a clue about leadership. They thought leadership was making an announcement to their people, saying, this is the new process, do it. Didn't work. That organization wasted, I'm going to guess, somewhere between 15 and $20 million in that they never got the process institutionalized. Nobody really bought into it. And I can almost guarantee you today, if we went back, there, there wouldn't be a shred of evidence that we were ever there. They threw 15 to $20 million against the wall, and nothing happened because they didn't understand a very basic principle that leadership by example is the most effective way to make something happen. That's why I'm saying men as fathers... As grandfathers, we need to set the example of leadership by example. We need to live it. We need to demonstrate it. And when it's done that way, oh, how much more effective it is. That's the way, if you want to make it part of your way of life, there's not a better way of doing it than that. If you don't want to make it a part of your life, talk to them about it, but don't bother living it. Because in that case, they won't live it either. I can almost assure you 100%, they will not. It will just trickle off and become nothing. So leadership by example 
is actually mandatory. You know, there's, other, there's one other thing here that we need to do. There's, that is, we need to leave a legacy that is lasting and eternal. The only way by which you're going to do it is by prayer. It will not happen any other way. And Sammy Tippett's uh, uh, series on praying for your family, I thought, just really drove that home. If you want to leave a legacy, do it by prayer. Now, how can you pray for your children and your grandchildren? How can you pray for your spiritual children? How can you pray for your nieces and nephews, if you will? How can you pray for brothers and sisters? How can you pray for your family? First of all, the thing that you would want to pray as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that they too come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as Lord. That's the most effective prayer that you can make. I've been praying that for my grandchildren, who are ages 6, 3, and 3, for over two years. As a matter of fact, our son, or pardon me, my daughter and my son-in-law are in the process of adopting a child. And I think this is a great privilege because I, I, I feel especially keen on adoption. My granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, is essentially adopted. And what a precious, precious thing she is to me. We're going to leave here and go to her ballet recital this afternoon. So what, what a delight I know that's going to be. But the fact of the matter is, is that we love her in a special way. She is a delight to our life. But my daughter is going to adopt a Chinese child. They're going to have her somewhere within... I'd say nine months maybe to maybe a year at the most. And they're going to go to Beijing. They're going to get on a plane and fly to Beijing. And then they're going to be introduced in a matter of a couple of, a couple of days after that to their new daughter, who's Chinese. Now, I've been praying for her for some time that she would come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray not only that they would just know him, I pray this, that they would be of service to him that they would just be totally devoted and dedicated to Jesus Christ as Lord in their lives. And that if it be his will, that he would use them in whatever way he chose. You see, God's called them already. And I know that if they are obedient to his calling, they will have a life of blessing. So I pray this constantly, that God would lead them across people's path who will help them seek the Lord. So... My prayer is, and that's what our prayer should be if we want to live a lasting legacy, is praying for our children and our grandchildren, and for that matter, generations to come. Sammy Tippett uh, told about his uh, example. And matter of fact, he found out just not too many years ago that 26 years before he received the Lord Jesus Christ, he had a grandmother that was praying. She died five years before he was born, 21 years before he came to know the Lord. But she had been a prayer warrior praying for her children and her grandchildren that they would know Jesus. And he came to know the Lord. And he talked about how he never knew this until an aunt told him. Because when he became a Christian, his mother and father weren't believers. Now she had been praying for them, but they came to know the Lord through his ministry. And what a wonderful blessing. And he told about how many hundreds of lives have been touched by these people for whom he was praying. 
And I, I only say that we need to think about that. There's somebody, my father obviously prayed for me. I can remember on Saturday nights before he taught his Sunday school class, he'd go into the sitting room and he'd close the doors. And he had his Bible out and he'd stay in there for hours. And I can remember that just distinctly. A fainting impression, but I remember him being there. And I know he prayed. And one of the testimonies of my of my uh, father's uh, of my father from a friend of his who had known him for many years. Matter of fact, he had grown up with my father. He said Sam Burnap couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, and he was right. He was absolutely correct. I can remember when he used to sing. It, there were coming times when he couldn't resist it, and he would sing, and it would. I would look up at him and I'd pull on his sleeve and ask him to stop. It sounded so horrible. <clears throat> My dad could not carry a tune. It was impossible for him to do so. But he loved singing. He loved the hymns of his faith. And the fact, it was a testimony to me about our hymns. This is why the hymns are so important to me. Because I knew that he loved them and he loved to sing. But he couldn't. But God gave him other gifts. And he just, this is just part of the legacy that he left us as children. And it's part of the legacy you can leave. Pray for your family. Pray for your children. Pray not just for them according to your will, but pray for the things that are important to them. My son and daughter, or uh, uh, daughter-in-law, are, and I call her my daughter because she calls me father. And, and she's become a daughter to me, just like my real daughter, but she's ever but, uh, much a part of our lives. And I can remember uh, Sam and Blanca want def- desperately to own a home. So what I need to be praying for is that God will help give them wisdom and insight and how they can save to buy their first home. So pray for your children and for their needs specifically, not just how you see them. Pray for their spouse. I can remember so distinctly praying many years ago when I was a deacon at the Amherst Baptist Church in Amherst, New York, And we had a deacon's retreat, and that one particular time, we turned our attention to our children. And we all prayed that God would lead to them the perfect helpmate for their lives. So we prayed God's gift in marriage for them. And my daughter and my son-in-law are just a beautiful couple. My son-in-law is a believer and a totally devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and so is my daughter. Sam had more difficult things, and like I said, we know that Sam was a gift from God that would cause us to pray. And so we prayed. He ended up marrying a young lady from Mexico, and God has just dealt with us in a beautiful way. Their their first child is not his biological child, but she calls Sam Poppy. That is her father, and I'm her grandfather. She calls me Grandfather. What a delightful thing to hear a six-year-old call you, not grandpa, but grandfather. So what a delight she has been to our lives and to them. And so we have occasion to pray for them. And we saw God's hand in this. He brought this about. That's not the way that we would have done it. But God in his infinite wisdom brought it about in his perfect way and did this and gave us a precious gift of a daughter-in-law and a grand uh, and a granddaughter, and then later on that, a grandson. So what great gifts we've been given. 
what a legacy we have, and hopefully a legacy we will leave them as a consequence. Let me just remind you of these two things, and we'll quit. Let's remember this. You have a choice. You're going to leave a legacy, whether you want to or not. You have a choice as to what kind of legacy that will be. I pray this, that everyone here today will resolve. You might, have, you might look back on your heritage and say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Jesus Christ can make it new. He can do that right now. He can change it. And you're enabled to live through the Holy Spirit in you and through faith in Jesus Christ to give a legacy to your children and your grandchildren, even if you're not married. You can have that to do. You can make up your mind to do it now. It's an act of your will. So decide this. First of all, that you're going to leave a legacy of love, understanding that love covers a multitude of sins. And that's what you need more than any other thing. It says in verse 14, beyond all else, above all other things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Put on, he says. Put on means your choice, whether you want to put it on or not. Make the choice as part of your legacy to put on love, knowing that love covers a multitude of sins. And then decide this. Make the choice to become men, spiritual leaders of your family. Pray for your family. Pray fervently for them in every way knowing that that is what's going to change our life. Pray for their spouses. If your children aren't married, pray for the spouses. If your grandchildren aren't married, pray for their spouses to come, that God will have a role in every aspect of their lives, that they will be followers of the Lord Jesus. So those choices are us, are ours. You can have and you can leave a legacy. That's why faith of our fathers is such a beautiful old hymn. How wonderful it is that we are able to do this. And we can do it because of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father and Lord, we thank you so much that you're our Father. As we, as we, as we have given thanks before, we give thanks again. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. Thank you for his lordship to us, for the example that he gives us, for the faith that we have, out of your grace and mercy. For that is, our, your, that is your gift to us, Lord, and we thank you for it. We thank, that you, we thank you that you have called us to walk in a manner that's worthy of him. And may we do so as fathers, as parents, even as spiritual fathers and mothers to those who might not be our blood relatives, but, Lord, who can be our spiritual relatives, and indeed all of us in this place today who have believed in him, are brothers and sisters, one with another in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for the promise. Thank you, Father, that love conquers all. That even though, Lord, we fail, if we just love you with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, Lord, you will enable us to love one another. And Father, so we might choose to do just that. And thus bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ. For in his name we pray and ask these things. Amen.